May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Adam Jungblut. Well, I hope y'all had as good of a Christmas as I had with my family. It was an absolute blast, and I'm glad you're here this morning. Also want to welcome the North Campus, watching live stream. Hey, I miss you guys. I'll see y'all next week. So in college, I had a really cool experience. A good friend of mine was getting married, and he asked me to be a part of the wedding party as an usher. Well, my friend was marrying this super cool chick who just also happened to be Max Lucado's niece. If you're not familiar with Max Lucado, Max is a pastor of a mega church outside of San Antonio. He has also authored 31 best-selling books over the past 25 years and has sold over 92 million copies. He is right under our very own Ryan Loxmo, whose book Blurry is now available online and at any major book retailer. Shameless plug for a really good friend. In the book writing circles, Max Lucado is kind of a big deal. Well, he was officiating the ceremony, and I was thrilled. I mean, as a young, ambitious, college Christ follower, I parked myself next to Max that entire weekend as often as I could. I soaked up everything he said and watched everything that he did. When it came time for the actual wedding, I brought my Bible, totally ditched my ushering responsibilities, sat down and took notes during his wedding message, and I still use some of his material in weddings that I officiate today. Well, it got me thinking. Whenever we have the chance to spend time with someone we look up to, we admire, deeply respect, wanna be like, we watch and listen a little more intently. We try to pick up on the small things that they do, and we also try to take it a step further and emulate them and act like them. I mean, whether it's a grandparent, a close friend, a celebrity, a boss, a small group leader, or even a famous Christian author, we watch and follow and listen more intently in the hopes of simply being in their presence, we are changed. Well, this past summer, I finished reading the book of Genesis in my morning, my kind of personal time with God. And in my Bible reading plan, it was time for me to go to a book of the New Testament. So I'm looking at all the books of the New Testament, wondering, well, what am I gonna read? And I start thinking, during Jesus's three years of earthly ministry, nobody spent more time with him than Peter. Peter was Jesus's right hand man. Often we see in scripture, Jesus pulls Peter aside away from everybody else to give him special teaching, special instructions. Jesus was there for every single one of Jesus's miracles, his teachings. He was there. He was able to be encouraged to follow Christ. He was reprimanded. He was instructed. He was with Christ more than anybody else. He was the first person to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God and was a key leader in the early church. So if I wanted to get to know Jesus, I needed to get to know Peter. So I started reading the books that Peter wrote in the New Testament. And I experienced such incredible personal spiritual growth that I decided to teach the book of 1 Peter in my small group this past fall. And this morning I want us to look at a few key teachings and truths that we find in the book of 1 Peter. I want to encourage you with, and at the same time, I hope to inspire you, light a little fire in you to go and read the rest of the books that Peter wrote in the New Testament. 
So if you haven't done so already, get out your sermon notes and let's take a look at some key learnings from the book of First Peter. Here's the first one. is fully realize Jesus makes me a new person. Fully realize Jesus makes me a new person. Starting off in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 in the very beginning. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Underline new birth for me. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So before Peter encountered Jesus that one day on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, he was a fisherman. Peter was an uneducated, unknown fisherman. He would wake up very early in the morning, set out into the waters, and fish. He would fish for hours on end. He would come back in, he would mend his nets, he would take care of his boat, he would sell his fish to make a living, all to do the same the next day. And the next, and the next, and the next. Because that's who Peter was. That's what his life looked like, that was his future. An unknown, uneducated fisherman. Wake up, fish, repeat. I wonder if there were times that while Peter was fishing, he would sit on the boat and look out over the waters and just begin to daydream and wonder and struggle with hope. Hope of something new. Hope of something grander. And then after kind of getting lost in daydreaming for a while, he'd shrug his shoulders and just cast his net out again. Because all he was was an unknown, uneducated fisherman. But then one day, he encountered Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave him a new birth and made him a new person. Peter went from fishing to literally following Christ from town to town, experiencing Jesus' miracles, hearing these amazing teachings. He was there a front row seat and all of the showdowns of Jesus versus the Pharisees going at it over the law. He was there for the miracles. He was there caught up in this phenomenon that was sweeping the region. Thousands of people just wanting to see Jesus and touch Jesus. And Peter, an unknown, uneducated fisherman, was Jesus' go-to guy. I'd be willing to bet that there were times that early in the morning during those three years when Peter was following Jesus, that his body would just naturally wake up the same time, crazy early in the morning when he would have to go fish. He'd wake up, sit up, and look around and see Jesus and the other disciples asleep around him in whatever town and whatever place they crashed out in that night. He would just shake his head in amazement of the new life that he has and then he would go back to sleep. So with that in mind, when Peter says new birth and a new life and a living hope and an inheritance, I want you to get your sermon notes out and I want you to look at verses three and four again as I read it to you with that mentality of a new birth of what Peter's talking about. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let me ask you a question. 
since you've encountered Jesus Christ, do you live as if you've been given a new birth with a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade? Is, would that describe your life? Like if your life looks a lot like your life did before encountering Jesus Christ, if Peter were here, he would shake you and say, wake up, you are a new person. Don't you get it that Jesus Christ has made you new? If you still struggle with a doom and gloom attitude, with a melancholy train of thought, if Peter were here, he'd want to slap you. And he would say, listen, since you are a new birth, the same spirit and power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Fully realize Jesus makes you a new person. Now live like it. Like, let me stop for a second. If you're sitting in here and you're thinking, well, man, I know Christ, but not like that. I mean, maybe you're a friend of Christ or you're familiar with Christ or you just know not a lot of knowledge of Christ, but you can't say that you have a relationship with Christ where you've become a new person and given a new birth and a living hope and an inheritance that maybe you haven't become a Christ follower yet. See, when you become a Christ follower, you place your hope, your faith, and your trust in Jesus Christ. That because Christ lived a sinless life, and then he took the penalty for all of our mistakes by dying on the cross, then rising again three days later, if we commit to follow him, all of our mistakes, the Bible calls sins, are forgiven. And we get to have a relationship with God now. And then when we die, we get to spend eternity in a place the Bible calls heaven. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your sermon notes in the back. If that's you and you're struggling with this, I want you to flip it over. Take a second and read that. There's never come a time in your life where you've prayed a prayer or one like that. Be thinking about it because I'm going to give you some time at the end of the message today to pray that prayer and become a Christ follower. Well, when it comes to 1 Peter, like, honestly, we could stop there because that's good. I mean, Peter knocked it out in just the first, you know, four verses. But he keeps going, so, so are we. In chapter 2, verse 11, I got another huge key learning in my time with 1 Peter that I want to share with you. Here's your filling. It's wage war against my sinful desires. Wage war against my sinful desires. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 11 starts off with, dear friends. Before we go forward, dear friends, a more correct translation of dear friends is beloved. The connotation comes with the idea of a parent to a child. There is this deep love and concern. There is a passion coming across that Peter has for the Christ followers scattered throughout who are reading this letter. It's not just like, hey, shout out, I'm tagging you in a photo, what's up, dear friends? It is, I love you deeply and passionately. So what I am telling you, you need to listen. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and then underline the rest of the verse for me, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Whew, that verse is packed. Look, in the very beginning, Peter calls us foreigners and exiles. Those that have encountered Christ that are new births are now foreigners and exiles. Why? Well, it's because of the inheritance that we've been given. 
We have an inheritance now, and our inheritance is in Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And because our inheritance is in the kingdom of heaven, our citizenship is no longer of this world. So this earthly world that we are living in right now, we are foreigners and exiles here until we die and receive our inheritance in heaven. Which it's not that difficult of a concept for us to grasp because we're Texans and the rest of the world already considers us foreigners and exiles. So it's not too difficult. But since we're foreigners and exiles and we're not of this world, Peter says abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Because we're not of this world, our sinful desires of this world wage war against us, we're to abstain from it. Look, that's how it feels when you're tempted, isn't it? That's how it feels when that temptation and that sinful desire just rears up and catches you. It feels like there's a war going on inside. A war between what you know is right and God-honoring and the sinful desire that's fighting against it. Because our sinful desire is waging war against us, you need to wage war back. Since your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, you need to wage war against your sinful desires. Students in this room, you just finished taking your finals a couple of weeks ago. Be willing to bet that at some point, whether before or during, you were tempted to cheat. You were tempted to cheat. And for those of you that aren't students, that were students a long time ago, you actually still remember the feeling. Sitting next to the hot girl in class, you know, yada, 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 how that goes, guys. You were tempted to cheat. And in that moment when you didn't know the answer, and you so badly wanted to look at your neighbors, there was that war going on inside of you. When the temptation arises to lie to a family member, big or small, there's a war inside of you. When the temptation arises to be selfish with your schedule, when a friend needs some help, but you've just been packed, and that selfishness, desire, wages war inside of you, we have to wage war back. When I begin to think of the Christian life and following Christ, this is really the front lines of the battlefield. This idea of waging war against our sinful desires is the very front lines of being a Christ follower. I can picture Peter as he's writing this. He's watching Christ followers that he's with in other churches that he knows well, that are new with this idea of waging war and they're struggling with it and maybe they've fallen. And as that dear friends and beloved, it breaks his heart. Because you see, when you get to know Peter and you study him a little bit, one of the things you're gonna realize is that during those three years when he was with Christ, not only did Peter experience some successes, he also experienced some failures. Peter knew what it was like for the sinful desires to wage war against him and lose. And Jesus had to come alongside of him and reprimand him, encourage him and correct him and get him back on the course. And so he is writing this and he is saying, fight, wage war. Like I don't know specifically what your sinful desire and your temptation is that you struggle with. But I know that it's there and I know that it is very real. And I know that in those moments there is a war waging inside of you. And if you don't wage war against your sinful desires, your sinful desires will win. Because they're waging war. And if you're just trying to stop, you're gonna lose every time. 
So wage war against your sinful desires because of the new birth, because of the living hope, because of the inheritance that you have. Wage war. All right, what's the third thing? This third thing, before I jump into it, these next two verses, these next two verses are what I have referenced more from the book of 1 Peter than any other verses this past fall. I've recited it to myself over and over again, and I've shared it with others. Here it is, number three. Don't be surprised by trials, but rejoice because of them. Don't be surprised by trials, but rejoice because of them. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, dear friends, there's that dear friends again, remember the beloved. Do not be surprised. Underline those four words. Do not be surprised. At the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Look, Peter refers to trials as fiery ordeals, and when he writes this, he is being very literal. You see, at the time when Peter was writing this, Christ followers scattered throughout were in such persecution that they were literally being burned because of their beliefs. Now, praise God, we are not experiencing persecution like that. But I'd be willing to bet there was a time and a trial and a suffering that you went through that felt like you were walking through the flames. It was so difficult and it was so hard. You literally felt like you were being burned as you walked through it. Now, see, there's this lie in Christianity in some churches that if we become Christ followers and we begin to, to follow Christ, that he should make life a little bit easier for us. That if we give and we participate and we go to church and we serve and give financially and we read our Bible and we pray, they're like, the really bad sufferings, like the trials, like we shouldn't get the really bad ones. It's as if God owes us for fully committing our lives to him and the church, that in response to that, he should make our life a little bit easier. Oh, dear friends. Oh, dear friends. That's what happens. And then when trials that are as difficult as fiery ordeals come our way, we're surprised. God, what is this? This strange thing happening to me. Why am I suffering like this? As if it's strange to you, as if you're surprised by it. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. You know why? Because he already gave. God already gave you a new birth. He gave you a living hope, and he gave you an inheritance that will never spoil, that will never perish, and that will never fade. He has already given. He doesn't owe us anything. It'd be as if a friend walks up to you with a check for a million dollars, hands you a million dollars, you cash it, and you start living off of it. And then a week later, something happens. You go up to the friends, and you say, hey, you owe me. What? That makes no sense. It's foolish. It's ludicrous. Like, do not be surprised when fiery ordeals, when trials come your way. Peter says you should rejoice. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but let's follow Peter's train of thought here. Peter says, hey, because you've encountered Christ, because you've become a Christ follower, you're a new birth, you're a brand new person, you have a living hope, you have an inheritance. 
which means because of your inheritance is now in the kingdom of heaven that is not of this world, you're now a foreigner and an exile. Because you're a foreigner and an exile, you're to wage war against your sinful desires. And when you wage war against your sinful desires, your life is gonna be put in opposition of this world and it's gonna look nothing like it. You see, when this world values self-promotion, well, you'll be humble, practicing humility. When this world says greed, you will be generous. When this world says insult others and put down others to make yourself look better, you'll be giving life with your words and encouraging others, hoping that they look better. And in that process, I promise you, sufferings and fiery ordeals will come because your life will look so different than this world, you will suffer. When that happens, rejoice. Because that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. See, he lived it perfectly. Jesus lived it perfectly, and his life was in such opposition of this world that they crucified him. So that's why Peter says, when you suffer, rejoice, because you are able to participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. When sufferings, when trials, when fiery ordeals come your way, rejoice because your life looks like Christ's and that's what we want. That's the goal and the vision and the dream of being a Christ follower. So when you're pulled into work and your boss says, hey, we're thinking of laying you off because you're not gonna entertain clients by taking them to inappropriate places. Instead of being surprised, why is this fiery ordeal happening to me? You should jump in your car, you should drive home, you should give all your family high fives and rejoice because your life looks like Christ. When you are struggling because of the amount of time that you're serving is adding extra chaos to your schedule and to your family life and you're suffering because of it, rejoice because you're serving the right amount. You're serving in the right place, rejoice. When you begin to lose friends because they say phrases like, I like the old you better, woo, Christ-like, baby, come on. That's what Peter is saying your life should look like. Do not be surprised. Beloved, my dear friends, when suffering and trials come your way, but let me flip this around for you real quick. See, the other side of what Peter is saying is, hey, if you're not experiencing trials, if you're not walking through the flames, if you're not suffering, what's wrong with your relationship with Christ? What are you doing wrong? How are you not following? Why is it that your life, even though you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, looks more like you're a citizen of this world? Why is it that your sinful desires waging war against you win more times than not? Why does your life look like this world? Because that's what happens when sufferings and trials and fiery ordeals don't come your way. Now look, I, I've talked to so many people at Parkway Fellowship and there's a lot of trials going on in this church. And I praise God that I'm able to serve and be a member of a church where there is suffering, where there is fiery ordeals, where we are striving as a church family to make our lives look more like Christ. But if at any point along the way, you stop and realize there isn't any kind of suffering, well, that's time for you to stop and say, what's going wrong? Am I not living like I've been given a new birth and a living hope and an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade? Am I not living like I'm a foreigner and an exile? Am I not waging war against my sinful desires? 
that's when we stop. And that's when we take a look at our lives. And there's no better time to do that than right now, as we're beginning to look into 2015. Now, man, I'm telling you, that is just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on in the book of First Peter. I mean, there is so much more to it. And look, chapter five, that was my favorite chapter of the whole book. And I didn't even get to it this morning. So look, if you want to take these key learnings and these teachings and apply them to your life, I want everyone right now to take out your connection card. And let's take some next steps together. Maybe for you it's this first one. Start living like I have been given a new birth with a living hope. Look, would you start living like you've been given a new, fresh start and a new birth? No better time than to take this next step than right now. Like, I already know you've closed the book on 2014. You're looking forward to 2015. This is going to be the year. 2015 is going to be the year that you accomplish everything that you've wanted to accomplish in 2012, 2013, 2014. 2015 is going to be the year. Start living like it. Maybe for you it's this next one. Wage war against my sinful desires. Look, would you wage war against your sinful desires? Because I promise you they're waging war against you and you know it all too well. So wage war back. Or this third one. Rejoice when trials and struggles come my way as a confirmation of following Christ. Like as confirmation that you're doing it right, rejoice when those trials and those struggles come your way. Or this fourth one, memorize one of the verses. I've put them in there for you. I want you to pick one. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 11, or 4, verse 12. Go back, look in your sermon notes, find the one you want to memorize, circle it on there, check the box, and memorize it this week. Or this fifth one, become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, if you've been thinking about that ever since the beginning of the message, you're like, man, I don't know Jesus Christ like that. I've never become a Christ follower. Look, I'm going to give you some time in just a couple of moments to pray that prayer, some silent time for you to pray to yourself and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior. If that's you, I want you to check this box right here because we'd love to follow up on you and let you know how excited we are that you're now a Christ follower. Or this last one, read all of 1 Peter this week. Look, it's only five chapters. You can do it. It's really not that difficult. I promise you, it is awesome. It's fantastic. But right now, no matter what next step you have, I want to give all of us some time to pray. And ask God which next steps he would have us take and then pray for strength for us to follow through on those this week. This is also a great time for you to pray that prayer if you want to become a Christ follower. So across the room, would you bow your head and pray silently to yourself for the next couple of moments. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, God, and we just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, for the amazing life that we have of following you, this new life and this new birth. Lord, because of your grace, because of the forgiveness of our sins, and God, we have been completely washed clean and have a relationship with you. So for that, we say thank you. Lord, we thank you for the living hope, for the inheritance. Lord, we thank you that our citizenship is found in you, God, and not of this fallen and sinful world. Lord, would you give us strength to fight and wage war against our sinful desires? Lord, would you give us the ability to rejoice when trials come our way? 
Lord, I thank you so much for the book of 1 Peter, for what it's done in my life and for what I know it's going to do in Parkway Fellowship. So God, I ask that we would continue to follow you wholeheartedly. God, because you are worthy, God, of all of our praise and of our lives. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.